0: Did you already start? It? I mean, we're recording. Oh, but we—but I mean, we can edit it. Right? Oh, okay, okay, so you know, you got to give me a heads up. man. I, well, I didn't want to, you know. <laughs> I, I wanted to do it like the way—I <laughs> wanted to do it like the way that the doctors do it, you know, where they're just kind of like trying to distract you and then they give you the little—they give you the little shot before you know it, and then.
1: Well, just slow down there. It, it, is there? Has a hair on your nipples? Oh it, man, is it helping?
0: Yeah, I don't—I don't know. I honestly, mean, brother, it it honestly, right it'll, see it'll, like it'll,
1: the, look at the, the sweat. You can see the beads in the sweat. Yeah,
0: because it's just. This is intense. <laughs> this is intense. Got won't let you, man. Mmm. My brother hates uh, when I drink coffee because he says... That Are you I a slurp. slurper? I'm a slurper. Are you a and slipper? You know what? You're probably going to hear it on the thing. You're going to hear me go...
1: I'll, I'll, I'll knock it
0: out of your fucking hand. Was- <laughs> <laughs> uh, All right, well, welcome to the... Um, Desi podcast the uh, life as we know it podcast with Desi Martinez uh good friend of mine Desi I appreciate you doing this podcast and actually uh this podcast idea came out because of you because we were talking about some stuff that you wanted to, we were trying to do for um your law firm I was
1: going to say, please explain how I am in the muse for the podcast.
0: Well, <laughs> well okay, so we were talking about Adrian, who's one of your friends, right? Mm-hmm. So who's, okay, so... Adrian Clark. Adrian Clark, yeah. and 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 who is Adrian Clark?
1: Adrian Clark is an entrepreneur extraordinaire in the boxing industry, and there's a lot of things that are coming up in his life that I, I, I think the world is going to be excited about. I'll, I'll let him talk about that when he gets there, but he's somebody I'm very proud to have a relationship with and somebody I'm very proud to mentor and know, and he's gonna do big things.
0: Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think so too. I've met him, He's he seems like a really cool guy, and so we were talking about ideas, right? Adrian got this new um, job with a new company, and we were just talking about ideas, and you know, you and I always have like these long marketing discussions and things, and so one of the ideas that I had was like, Hey, what if you created a podcast with Adrian where you guys talk about like boxers and their, you know, their life as a boxer and these things and maybe you didn't maybe you don't remember that. I do remember that, and I remember going
1: <laughs> it's got to be about something other than the law because you know what I tell you and I'm going to say it over and over again, nobody gives a shit what an attorney has to say about <laughs> themselves or about the law, right. which is why I don't understand it why attorneys always have to have their face on a billboard. Right. Nobody wants to see us. Right. No, It's not like we go, oh, oh. That makes it much more interesting. Look at the guy's face with a tie on. I'm gonna go to that guy.
0: Right, that guy looks yeah. like he
1: knows what he's doing. I don't, I don't, I've always said, I don't care if my face is on it. I just need clients coming in the door from it. But again, that's that's another conversation. The reason that I said no podcast is I was like, dude, who's gonna listen to it other than my kids when I make them and my mom? <laughs> you know, like who,
0: who cares? Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody cares. Well. Well after that after you and I had this discussion I was like I think that's a really great idea then I thought what if I did a podcast <laughs> So I went out and bought a bunch of equipment then another I didn't one know of those statues you steal
1: you take credit for I'm like oh <laughs> yeah. Jerry I'm so smart man. yeah I gave you that look one, at, dude. Yeah, you yeah, never gave
0: I- <laughs> Yes uh, over your over your marketing campaigns <laughs> we know who really came up with those ideas right, right. We sure do
1: I appreciate you letting me do this. I instantly, I instantly start thinking that it's like a, you know, like a, a '70s radio show, and I need cigarettes. And my voice drops about two octaves.
0: We you get the glasses with the, uh, with the? Oh, because you can hear yourself. Yeah, I, I,
1: I hate, I hate the way my voice sounds. Yeah, I do know. Do this me distorted too.
0: medium. I'm much smoother. I know. In real I know. Life. Well, we can always edit it so that you sound super deep. Okay. Like a, like a, Guy like
1: WKRP the, in Cincinnati. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah.
0: WNBC? <laughs> no, no, no. WNBC. I W-N-B-C. thought I was saying WNBC. 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 <laughs> All right. So okay. So this podcast is life as we know it. Um, this is uh, really, really happy that you that you agreed to do this. I'm told a lot of different people that uh, you know if you get to know Desi. And you do have a, or you you have had billboards with your face on them and things like that, right? <laughs> and you know, like to your point, as you were saying earlier, uh, people see people see the face, people see the the logo, the name, but they don't really know too much about the attorney. And I and everybody that I've talked to that knows you and friends that I've um, that I've spoken to or that I've met through you, all tell me the same thing: if people you know, Desi's such a cool guy. I think, you know, it's important for people to understand the type of individual that Desi is, because if they did, whenever it is that they would need a lawyer, they'd feel pretty comfortable, um, in working with you. So, I uh, appreciate you coming in today and well, actually I'm at your house and we're outside for those, uh, that might just be listening, but, um, but yeah, so t- tell me about, Tell me kind of about your upbringing, man. Like how, you know, t- talk to me about what life was like, your mom and your dad and.
1: Well, I don't, I don't know if you want to leave it that open because I, honestly we can go on for hours. I uh, I moved around a lot. Like I moved around a lot. There is no one place that I'm from. I call San Antonio home now and our base is South Texas Laredo, but uh, there's there's a, a not a lot you know, it's not a very uncommon story, but at the end of the day, there's just a lot to it. I was, um, you know, if we want to do, you know, kind of Tom Sawyer, I was born, you know, I so literally I was fighting to get out of the womb. I don't know if I told you this or not. I was no. born two months premature because the umbilical cord was wrapping around my neck because I wouldn't stop moving. Like I literally wouldn't stop moving in the womb. And I'd like to think that it was just, I was fighting to get out. Mm-hmm. So I kind of like, um, I always thought I was one month premature, which I could live with. I found out I was two months premature, which is why, so the first thing that happened when they took me out, I was blue and I was hairy. I don't know if you knew that. Two month premature babies are blue and hairy. No way. I was blue and hairy, and my dad's a pretty honest guy, and the first thing he did was, that's not my kid. <laughs> I was like, that's not my kid. What the hell is that? It looks like a raisin with hair. So um, my mom, of course, is really young at the time, um, he goes and he tells her, he goes, there's something wrong with them. And She starts crying <laughs> instantly. So instead of like, Oh, beautiful baby's born, let's hug my baby. Oh no. My mom's like, Oh she's crying while she's holding oh, me the oh first time. Gosh. Because my dad in his brutal honesty. And then so the joke goes, We were this was post Vietnam. I was born right after my dad got back from Vietnam. Um of course we didn't have a lot of means. He was still, you know, kind of a you know, around early buck private he just got out of the war. So he wasn't we weren't really making any money. So And they your were,
0: parents were really young when they had you? They they were.
1: They got married right, right out of high school. Mm. So they were still in their early twenties struggling. The joke was that uh, because we didn't have money for a crib, I used to sleep in the drawer right next to the bed. And there's pictures of me sleeping in the drawer. And one of the things that they would say is if the ugly baby got too fussy, they close the door. Now, great—that's you know, and, and again, I can laugh now, but I remember when I was younger, that kind of affected my psyche. I was like, all right, well, I'll stay quiet. Right? I mean, I'll be talking when you leave, but I'll be quiet right now. So it was just one of those things where that's where kind of life started in Fort Hood, Texas, in Colleen and um so your dad was in the military dad was in the military uh during those years and we moved around i started school in german germany with the german kids because my mom wanted me out of the house at four so i actually started school early because they start school in
0: in like a german german school it's not like you were like uh on base and it was an english
1: no this was in the german school because we lived on the economy and although my mom didn't speak spanish or english she didn't she, I don't think she got that it was a German-only school because she didn't speak English. So I was like, "Yeah, yeah, take his ass," you know. So I remember because I, you know, that was my buddy. I used to hang out with my mom all day because my brother was already in school, and uh, I was—I just remember telling her, "I'm gonna be good. I'm gonna be good." Don't stand And She was like, "No, no, no, you're going." And then she doesn't believe I have memories from when I was really small, but I do. I remember things very vividly. Mm-hmm. You know, one of, the, one of the gifts that I've been given, I remember things from when I was young. She was like, That's bad. no, you don't. I said, yeah, I do, man. I remember what you were wearing. Let me tell you the story. Anyways, I remember the first day of school, walking in and, and with the German kids. And in my mind, for some reason, I swear they spoke English. Like I'm almost positive they spoke English. They always call me Daisy because they couldn't say Daisy.
0: Oh, word. right. Yeah. But I
1: remember walking through the school and they're saying hi to me. And it just seems like we were having like a real communication. I don't remember them speaking <laughs> German. Mm-hmm. But anyways, I remember going to school with the Germans, starting off four years old in kindergarten. And then later I started off with the American schools and we left Germany and moved back to Laredo and that's when kind of the family went to pot.
0: And how long uh, were you in Germany for?
1: So then it was three years and then we moved to Laredo and then that's where my family's from. My mom and dad are from the same neighborhood, Guadalupe. Mm-hmm. Um, they're in, in Laredo and they literally grew up a block away from each other. Wow. So they've known each other since they were eight. And even, you know, through the divorce and everything, they're they're still friends, you know? They've, mm-hmm. honestly, they were, they're, first friends mm-hmm. so I mean you don't ever lose that relationship right. so it, it's weird to me, for me to see them speaking because I, you know again they divorced when I was young mm-hmm. How but old I forget you? their friend I was around eight six to eight you know that whole drama going on with the divorce it takes for a while and then the day or the night happens when you know the family's gonna split up and then you move out we actually moved to Mexico for for a month or so but at the end of the day you know the split up happened and my mom said this and and you got to remember all she knew was life with our family and then her brothers and sisters that lived in the same neighborhood Mm -hmm. and she said i'm 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 taking my sons out of here um you know they're my whole world and they're not going to have a shot in laredo and they're going to grow up with the bad influences and i got to get them out of here Mm -hmm. so she literally made the choice to leave everything she knew in laredo for us and we moved back to fort hood And that was a whole different experience of poverty because if you can imagine an immigrant mother who had never worked, didn't drive, didn't speak the language. Like we really, really uh, had some rough years in a predominantly Anglo area Uh and uh but we we made the best of it so we were kind of that pioneering mexican family there in in colleen fort hood back in the early 80s and uh my mom used to work uh at the at the local high school as a janitor Uh unbeknownst to me and this was a different time she used to take night shifts as well so while i was sleeping she'd go work other shifts wow and um that was financially a really hard time but um I was happy,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, she's, she's a very, she is a mother through and through, that's all she ever wanted to be, that's all, she's happy with that, so mm-hmm. she, you know, again, she raised us to still be happy, no matter what the circumstances were. Mm-hmm. And then, we met my stepdad, um, Joe, she got remarried to him and he had two sons from a, a previous marriage. And then so we became very dysfunctional Brady family. <laughs> and, I'm not kidding, a very very dysfunctional Mexican Brady family with four boys and we we, we got into a lot of trouble and got them into a lot of trouble were and I got the, to apologize. Were
0: they about the same age as you? The other, yeah, the other actually, boys? Yeah, actually yeah,
1: no my 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 stepbrother Joey is my age. Like we're 4 months apart. We're the same age. And okay. of course we became really really good friends on top of that. He's my best friend. Mm-hmm. And then my youngest brother Eric um, he, he was kind of, uh, man, that dude was a handful. Yeah. Uh, to say the least, that dude was a handful. There was a lot of drama, but honestly, I my, my stepdad Joe I always say this, he kind of saved us mm-hmm. because we were starting to grow, my brother and I, and we, we were starting to realize, we're poor. Mm-hmm. Like, we're poor. Mm-hmm. I don't like being poor, mm-hmm. and we're gonna do some stuff to get us out of being poor and when you're you're trying to figure out as a young man who you are and you don't really have the guidance of a father and you realize you're in a bad situation like we were about that age where we were about to start getting in trouble if there wasn't more you know if, we, if there wasn't more to help us find i guess a normal life mm-hmm. so he came along and i always say that he kind of saved us and i'm again I'm, I'm really close to my stepdad now i think but yeah there were there were a few years there where there was a lot of clashing with the stepbrothers and funny-ass stories of us chasing each other around the neighborhood trying to, like me running them down to try to beat them up. I mean, just just ridiculous things, but we're all really close now, and unfortunately our youngest brother doesn't live in San Antonio, he lives up north.
0: Okay, so, uh and how old were you when your stepdad? About 11, okay, about 11. Okay, so so your mom was, your mom was a single mom, doing it all by herself from about the time you were about eight, for like, so three years. Three to four years, yeah.
1: They still had to get married and all that stuff. But, yeah. so I'll tell you this, man, Joe won my heart over with food. So we- That's, I, the, that's I, the
0: easiest way to a, a man's heart is it, through his stomach. It, well, no,
1: dude, it was like throwing a pit bowl of steak because it was one of those things where it was. I was completely distracted. He was trying to date my mom, and. You know, of course, you know, this is all I had in my life with my mom and my brother. So we were, you know, we were viciously protective of one another. And I wasn't going to allow this dude to come around. I wasn't mm-hmm. going to allow him to come around. So he would show up and, I, you know, kind of, and he'd still tell you stories. I was kind of weird and quiet and shy and shit. And I'm just sitting there looking at him the whole time and not saying hi to him and staring at him. And, and I remember he, he's smart, man. He showed up one morning. It was a Sunday and me being the weirdo that I was like, I was already up. It was like seven o'clock on a Sunday morning. I was already up, you know, whatever, doing whatever. Right. And my mom's still sleeping. My brothers are still sleeping. And he shows up cause he's a soldier. He wakes up at five every morning. He still does drinks all the damn coffee in the house. And he shows up with, with two boxes of Dunkin' Donuts, right? I'd never had a donut ever i'd never had a donut you know we had pandulce, mm-hmm. and we couldn't afford it anyway so i'd never had a donut i just knew they looked delicious right <laughs> so he shows up with two boxes of donuts the steak right the steak for the dogs <laughs> and then i remember i'm sitting there looking at him and i'm not saying anything to him and he goes because you can have a michael i'm gonna go talk to your mom and he puts them on the table and i don't at that point i don't give two craps if he's i'm looking at him and he goes, just eat as many as you want. Just leave one, you know, leave one for your mother and brother and your mom or your mother and your brother and me. Okay, cool. So this is two dozen donuts. This is 24 Dunkin' Donuts. Oh and I remember just, you know, kind of almost shaking when I grabbed one because it looked so delicious. And I ate one and it was like, and I was like, oh, that went down so smooth. That went down so smooth. And I remember I grabbed another one and then Literally, the next five minutes is a blur, bro, because I remember going (laughs) (laughs) Like I had sprinkles and chocolate all in my hair and in my ears, like there was a cookie monster. Like I remember, like I had lost, I don't, like I remember everything, I don't remember those five minutes. All I remember is I couldn't stop myself (laughs) So at the end of the day, what ends up happening, like my, I think my thinking, you know, my brain kicks in when I see there are like two and a half donuts left. And then it hit me like, oh. What did I I had to leave three. I, I had to do? leave three. <laughs> I to what leave have three. I done? There's only two and a half. I haven't even had any milk. You know <laughs> I was like? And I remember going, donuts are delicious. <laughs> and, and to this day, like I forbid people from bringing donuts to the office. Now, again, what I say at the office a lot of times is met with, you know? So it's one of those things where they bring them on purpose just to make me go, Damn it! Who brought the donuts? Who are yeah. all these yeah. donuts? Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, I I have a donut problem, and I I'm not ashamed to admit it. And I've joined groups, and I've you know you know I've sat there talking about donuts, but you know it's just one of those things in life that it's it's like an ingrained issue that I have. It's donuts like your first
0: your first real addiction. Yeah. Yeah. It's donuts,
1: and I I just stay away from them. You know, I, I'm I'm you know, about five days donut free and you know, Congratulations. (laughs) Congratulations. Just
0: keep it up. Keep up the good work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's deep rooted
1: trauma, man. So (laughs) that, that was that time. mm -hmm. And believe it or not, Um, we left Fort hood, we left Colleen where we had been, we had been there for for four years at that time. And then we moved back to Germany. That was a beautiful time. We stayed there for three years. And then we leave Germany and go back to El Paso and by this time we're young, you know, teenagers, 15, 16. Mm-hmm. This is the early 90s and that's where I graduate high school and, and being so close to Juarez and then it being the time that it was, we were, we were basically given, you know, free reign to do what we want as young men, to, you know, because my mom trusted us and I always think hindsight 2020, you probably shouldn't have trusted us that much because we were doing a lot of things we shouldn't have been involved in. So thank God we ended up leaving there My dad gets stationed in Oklahoma. I wash out of college football, you know, which had been what I was, you know, Trying to do at the time is just play football. I love the aggressiveness of it and getting all the anger out. Where'd you
0: play? What was your position?
1: At that time, you know, I'm 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 not the world's biggest guy, but I'm a little bit bigger than your average Mexican. Mm -hmm. So I was on the line. I was a nose guard, and they were transitioning me to a middle linebacker. But you know, I've got heavy feet, but I was a nose guard in the center, Mm -hmm. and I loved it. You know, I just loved. I loved it. I think it was pure aggression. I'd lose my mind, like with the donuts. Like I'd lose my mind. Mm -hmm. I they couldn't give me plays because I would lose my mind. Like, just, I remember the just last game guy. I played, they just said, Desi, just go do what you do. I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, like, I, I couldn't be coached that well because I would lose my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but, anyways, um, washed out of that. And then there was a university at the place where my dad was going to be stationed, Fort Sill, okay. called Cameron University. And I, I was just given a, a second chance to play and then a second chance to go back to school. And, and this time, I. You know, I was getting older and I realized that I, I really do need to take that opportunity seriously. Mm-hmm. And even though it wasn't a very hard college to get into, I mean, I think any school is what you take of it, what you, what you, you know, again, there's good professors everywhere. It's what you make of the opportunity. And then from there, I, I went to law school at the University of Oklahoma. And then I kept on moving after that. And my mom moved here to San Antonio because this is where my dad wanted to retire. And um, this this is eventually after moving to Florida and continue to move around and start businesses across you know different parts of the country and being a professor and blah 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 um I ended up here wow yeah it doesn't make any sense in the summers between in college and law school my brothers actually lived in Austin I literally lived half half the year in Austin half the year in Oklahoma and you know again Austin was, at least at the during, time. During left,
0: college? That's yeah,
1: during mean? college and during law school, I'd spend most of my time in Austin, and then go back to school go to school.
0: Wow. Uh, so, was school kind of like, were you always a, a really great student? Because, I mean, obviously, for the people that are in law, or anybody who's attempted to get into law, law school from what I understand is extremely difficult like you have to be, it's it's a, you have to be very studious and you have to be um, you have to just read a lot uh, but were you always a you know academically you know in, uh, in were you a
1: academic enthusiast not at all man not at all I was relatively lazy uh, through high school and mm-hmm. it didn't help that I played a lot of sports. Because at the time, I honestly, uh, my grades were kind of given to me. It was a given I was going to pass. Mm-hmm. I was going to stay eligible. Mm-hmm. And that didn't help my laziness as far as academics. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, again, you've got to understand, if I'm being raised by a single mom and a stepfather and things like that, that, that they, at the time, I was a young teenager. I didn't communicate a lot with them. Mm-hmm. It's not like a lot of importance was put on school. So I wasn't a great student. I, I think I wasn't dumb. Right. But at the end of the day, I was lazy. Mm-hmm. So when I got to college, I, I didn't have good study habits. Mm. But it was kind of easy for me because I stepped into a, a, a major that I think was kind of catered to what I was good at. And then I also had friends that, thankfully, you know, and, and girlfriends that were good students and they taught me good study habits. But I still wasn't ready for law school. And this is what I say about law school to everybody. Um, it's not that minorities are at a disadvantage. It is, it is this. If you've got the brain matter to get into a good law school, Um, you've got it. You've got Mm -hmm. the ability to to think critically. Mm -hmm. The difference is this, and it's kind of like a race. It's like a a quarter horse race, Mm -hmm. okay? All the horses that are at the quarter horse races, they're they're thoroughbreds, man. They've got the ability to be there. Mm -hmm. The distinction is the training and the trainers and the jockey. That's what makes a great quarter horse is the ability to pull that talent up, right? Mm -hmm. So when you start in law school, I think that People that are in a good law school have that ability. They're quarter horses, right? Mm -hmm. But what's the difference? A lot of the guys that I went to law school with, well, their parents were attorneys and their parents were millionaires and their parents had money and they had educations and higher degrees. So the conversations they would have, Mm -hmm. right, at around the dinner table were about those things that led up to them going on their own path. But they had that foundation, that background, that training. Mm somebody like me whose mom heads her head hurts when she reads so it like I need to read it for me my head hurts you know I'm like no you're no like that wasn't really stressed on us so I didn't really have those good habits starting out in law school because that wasn't something I picked up in life you mm-hmm. understand yeah. it wasn't I mean we can go lift weights if you want but I can't it, it was picking up good study habits to get ahead in law school I didn't I didn't really start understanding that until maybe a year or two years into it, but the guy I still relied on man. I still got the brain power. Right. Well, that isn't enough when you're with the running with a bunch of thoroughbreds. Right, those guys are ahead, and I started realizing I've got to steal their knowledge of how to become a better student. Right, and I, I again I kind of started off behind, and I think that's a common story for a lot of of, of minorities. If that's what that's what we're calling you know us nowadays. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they just haven't been given the tools to get to that place when they start law school and sometimes it takes us a little longer to get there. Yeah. so um,
0: were, there, you know, were, those, were those principles the you know and, it, and it's just like football, right studying and, and all of these things it requires technique. you need to right. know kind of know what, what to do so that you can be really great at it. But were those any of those principles you know uh, obviously working hard, seeing your mom work hard i'm pretty sure that was sort of instilled in you what were some of the other things that i mean you sounds like you grew up on a lot of uh you know bases and your dad was military and you kind of grew up around that Were those kind of influential things that shaped you into getting into law school did those things kind of help you
1: one one of the beautiful problems that i was given allowed to have growing up with shyness. Like Mm. after my dad left, I was confused. Like I was a weirdo. I'm not even going to die. Like I was weird. (laughs) And, and I would just, I was very quiet. Mm. It wasn't because I was scared. It was more so because I didn't think anybody really wanted to hear what I had to say. So it would leave me watching things I would watch a lot like I would watch and I would pay attention and then sometimes understandings would come to me about what's going on so the reason I say it's a beautiful problem you might look at it now and go oh you know poor kid he was so shy didn't you know that that's horrible no man it was great because again that allowed me to really try to figure things out on my own Hmm. you understand Mm -hmm. so although somebody's not having the conversation with me explaining to me what's going on I was able to absorb a lot of information so what I did see you know from the soldiers was discipline Mm. That's one of the tenets I think of success. You have to be disciplined. You have to have the talent. That's something you're born with or you're not born with. But again, for my mom, I would see the hard work. That's one of the tenets of success, right? For my dad, I would see strength. Mm. You know, so it's just one of those things where it wasn't like there was a blueprint for being successful. Um, you know, if or we want to call it, said, you need
0: to do this. You need to do right, this. Right, that right.
1: Nobody just... put it together for me. I would just kind of I always call life a buffet. You, I would take the different parts of that person that that were inspirational, mm. and then I just kind of started figuring it out on my own because I was lucky enough to be quiet to just watch. That makes mm. sense. Yeah. And then when it be when it came my time. I just started putting it together on my own. Mm-hmm. I'm not a self-made person. I don't say, "Oh, y'all was me all by myself." I learned by watching, though. Why? Right. Because I had no choice. Right, right. So nobody sat down and explained it to me at the dinner table.
0: Right, like they didn't draw a map out for you. Right, you just kinda right, had to right. Go and honestly, it and studying, and-
1: like you studying people, right? Mm-hmm. You read people, you study them, you watch them. This person's different than that. Kind of the same thing. I, I've, like you said, it, it it takes a certain person to be successful in law school to get the right, and and I, I kind of believe, not the opposite, but it's, it's bigger than that. Mm. You can take somebody that's successful in the law, you can take somebody that's successful in sports, you can take somebody that's successful in, in, in boxing management, look at their qualities. They're the same across the board. Mm. It's just a different industry, mm-hmm. you understand? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where whatever it takes to be successful here, I guarantee you if you had that drive to do it here in the law, I guarantee you'd be successful as long as you transfer those. And I started realizing that as well. All this drive and desire that I had to be a good football player, and there's some ridiculous stories of the stuff that I do just to try to be better. Mm -hmm. um, Transfer that into the law, man. Mm -hmm. Transfer that. But I have to have a desire for it. And, And I think I have found that desire in trial work. Like, I love it. Like, it is my audience like it is my that's your that's, football field dude i it's it's exhilarating i love it i love being there i love being in front of a jury i love speaking on somebody's behalf i love defending people meaning that being the voice the, the mouthpiece for you know somebody next to me mm-hmm. like i love being in trial it's it's the same as a tackle to me now mm-hmm. like i used to love hitting the shit out of people
0: loved it it was just like adrenaline rush. Yeah,
1: it, it was just it was me against you somebody's will is gonna bend i'm i you know again that I didn't understand that that was part of the aggression I had from growing up. That's I how that. I let it out. But now, again, that that adrenaline has been replaced by thankfully something that my back can 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 live with, and that's trial work. Mm-hmm. You know, I love being in trial, and and those are those reasons. Like it's replacing that that. I guess that not aggression, but that, you know, just kind of love for desire
0: to, yeah, yeah. it's,
1: it's replacing what, what, what my heart desires. Mm -hmm. It's no longer tackling. It's now being in trial, giving and speaking and persuading people.
0: Right. Yeah. And I was going to say, I mean, that aggressive nature that you had on the football field sounds like you've just kind of transferred that kind of uh, aggressiveness or that willingness um, to express yourself at, you know, at at court right yeah,
1: yeah. well in it and it's a bunch of stuff man um so and here's here's something um you know trial trial attorneys have you know we we're, we're a lot, we're a buzzword society now right mm-hmm. a lot of trial attorneys have picked up the phrase warrior we call ourselves warriors. Mm. And I'm like, well, well, wait a minute. Have you ever had somebody pull a knife on you? Mm-hmm. You ever had, I mean, have you really ever stood toe to toe with somebody that, you know, the, the warrior culture, That that's a different kind of adrenaline, brother, you know, that's, again, that's a different place. Mm-hmm. But I do understand the thinking behind it, because again, if you've ever stood in front of a jury about to open your mouth, that's the same feeling you get when you're Just like you're about to start a fight and somebody's about to hit you in the mouth. Mm-hmm. Like you freeze up, your brain goes blank and you're sitting there trying to catch your breath. That's, that is the same feeling. There is amount of, an amount of fear that has to be overcome to start speaking. Mm-hmm. So I do get the the analogy between trial attorneys and warriors. And, and to me, it's it's again, like I, I, I being an army kid, I know real warriors. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a little bit different, my friend, than, than being a trial attorney.
0: Right, but but I think... To your point, it's like that ability to have the courage to do it regardless of the fear. Right? Right. And, and I think I read somewhere, uh, or maybe I read a book or something. I can't remember where I, I had heard it, but it, it said uh, courage is not about the... It's not the lack of fear. It's not the lack of fear. It's having the fear and doing the right thing anyway. Do, doing it in spite of the fear, right? Right, and and I, I agree with that, and I
1: and I see the analogies, but I it, it's kind of one of those things. I think that you know, again, I look back at this checkered life. I, I think it prepared me for these moments, and I'm just again, I'm, I, I you know, we have a lot of conversations as trial attorneys, and I work with a good group of guys that we learn off of each other. And one of the uh, exercises we had one time was we literally had to pick an object out in the room and talk about it in relationship into why it's speaking to us you right. know it's it's trust me it's a little bit it's a lot deeper than just that mm-hmm. but i remember picking the picture of of a of a wolf believe it or not it was a painting of a wolf and he was running alongside of a of a river and there was this weird kind of fluorescent light that he was chasing and it didn't make any sense right but that picture i remember spoke to me because I kind of felt like the wolf, not not for any other reason that this wolf, you could tell his tag was his tongue was wagging and and he was just kind of chasing it and kind of smiling and and laughing. But he was still a wolf. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking that's kind of been this journey of mine. You know, Mm I'm 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 thrilled to be here. I love being in this place where I've been given the ability to be a trial attorney and see the things that I've seen and do do the things that I do and help the people that I help. And I'm just enjoying it, right? Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I'll bite your damn head off if I have to. I'm still, you know, again, it's just one of those things where that picture spoke to me because you could see that that wolf didn't belong, but he still... He was as happy as but, happy as a day is long to be there.
0: Right, but at the end of the day, he's still a wolf. <laughs> he's <laughs> so, still a wolf.
1: Yeah. So it, it, I remember that picture still, and that was up in Wyoming. We were we were at a, a ranch at Jerry Spence's just working with other trial attorneys. But it was I, I, I still think about that painting. I was like, that's kind of funny. I remember a buddy of mine was saying, that's man, that's 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 cool. That See, I,
0: yeah, that's awesome. Uh, and so you you graduate, you you you're. you're uh, you're an attorney now. What happens? What's what happens after that? What do you? Oh do?
1: man, I'm still lost. I'm still lost. Like honestly, only because um, there were a few things I saw in law school that I didn't like, mm. and unfortunately, I allowed those to kind of take over just my thought process about the practice of the law. One of the things it's kind of you know we say this now in in the practice. um, sometimes paralegals are more lawyerly than lawyers, sometimes nurses are more doctorly than doctors. You know, law students are a a caricature Mm. of attorneys, and they do the things that people think that attorneys do. So they're, they're very, unfortunately, I found a lot of pretentiousness. I found a lot of ego mm. stroking. I found a lot of, you know, this Time is this is me chest. dog. This is me dog. And I'm like, guys, you're in law school. You literally are making no money. <laughs> you know, you've literally helped nothing or nobody just yet chill out. And I got kind of so tired of being around that, just speaking about themselves. I got this, I, I believe I got this trait from my mom. I just couldn't stand the pretentiousness. Mm. So I literally left the law. Mm-hmm. Like I went searching for something else. And that's when I you know, went to go work for the university there, I went to college at. And I was, I was lucky enough to find a job there. And I was an administrator, an advisor, a professor. And, and um, I enjoyed it, It just I knew it kind of wasn't my thing. Mm. Um, I, I really did enjoy it. And one day I'd like to go back to teaching, but at the end of the day, it, I knew it wasn't for me at that time. Mm-hmm. And then so I moved to Florida and, and one of my best friends in life, he and I started a business out there. He was from there, we did really well. I was a bachelor and and don't let my wife watch this part. Like I enjoyed being a bachelor in Florida at the time mm-hmm. of my life and we just had, you know, a good two, three year run. But the issue was that, you know, I get a phone call from my mom one day, which again is the most important person in my life, her and my brothers, and, and my dad, you know, my stepdad. Mm-hmm. But she, she is it. She's at the pinnacle of everybody's life. And I didn't have any kids at the time. She said, Hey man, um, you remember you remember you said you were gonna come home one day? And I said, "Yeah, Mom, I'm w- one day." Mm-hmm. And she goes, "Well, now it's it's time." And I was like, "Well, what are you talking about?" And she was like, "Well, I've I've they found a, a tumor in my pancreas, oh, and wow. they had just found it on routine blood work. So pancreatic cancer is 99.9 percent fatal, right?" Yeah. So I remember I literally threw my clothes in the back of my truck. I threw everything else in my in my in my place uh-huh. in, in the trash, um, it, or I sold it. And then I got on the road the next day, and I came back, or I came to San Antonio with literally, without a pot to piss in, just to go, you know. Just How to old come, are you at this time? I'm, I am now 32, and I remember I got a license to practice law in Florida at the time, and a license to practice law in Oklahoma, but I literally had no job, no connections, nothing. And I moved to San Antonio, and it's basically to take care of my mom, but it was... You know, again, God works in mysterious ways. I thought it was down in the dumps. It was one of those times where I was broke. Mm-hmm. Um, I had nothing. Um, and, and literally, the one the thing that I did have in my life was disappearing, you know, because, of course, we were scared. This, this was a fatal disease. So it, it was from that, that moment that I moved here that, honestly, San Antonio kind of started exploding. Mm-hmm. I, I really do feel before 2005, San Antonio was kind of a sleepy, big, boring town, and I didn't want to be here. Mm-hmm. I, I really didn't. Um, I'd moved here from Florida, which was great. And then everything starts changing. They find oil. Actually, the economy dries out, mm-hmm. but the industries in San Antonio are protected. They started uh, renovating the south side of town. And that was when I started kind of, you know, my own practice. And it was just a great opportunity at the great at the right time and then my mom got better they actually operated and took a 90% of her pancreas they caught it in time enough wow. and she was living like with like 10% of her pancreas wow um, but honestly she's she's in better shape now than she was before the uh, the tumor but that that was how i ended up here and i remember spending every single waking moment at the job force Applying for a job, I had applied at sub- every law firm that was hiring, even law firms that weren't hiring. Like I kind of, you know, listened to the voices in my head and listened to God and said, "Where are my talents?" And I realized it's it's in the law, man. Stop mm-hmm. avoiding it. Come to it. Mm-hmm. And and I realized that's where my talents are that I that I've been given. And I wanted back in. I was getting in no matter what. Right. But nobody would hire me. I didn't know anybody, and I didn't have any experience. So mm-hmm. it was the best thing that could have happened because at the end of the day. I wouldn't have had my own law firm. Mm-hmm. So it's weird, kind of how things, like in most things, my life makes no sense the way that this office came together. Mm-hmm. But I applied at the back. We don't even have WAN ads. We don't even have newspapers anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. So there was a WAN ad, and it was there on the newspaper. There's like it a was little, little,
0: like just like kind like a kind of. It was a WAN ad, bro. It was this big.
1: <laughs> it literally said legal assistant needed. That's it, phone number. And I remember feeling defeated. I already had a job working night shift at a, at a group home. Uh-huh. And I had a job grading papers, and I was like, I gotta get in the legal field. So I called, and it ends up being the office manager I have now, and my wife is working there. And it was a law firm that was looking for a legal assistant. And I didn't want to apply for that. I felt it was a little beneath me, but I was like, screw it, I just need to get in. Uh-huh. So I remember I interviewed with them, and my wife is actually, it, this is funny. Well, at the time, not your wife. She's not my wife, but I think she instantly wanted to be my wife. So <laughs> She's like, I'm going to marry <laughs> I show, him. I show up for this $10 an hour job, and there's nothing insulting about it, but I remember just thinking, I've got two licenses, bro. Okay. like what? I'm Yeah, I'm a lawyer, dude, but okay, I'm going to do it. I don't care. I'm not going to have this pride on my face. And I remember interviewing and telling this guy, uh, the office manager, who is now my office manager, and the attorney. John. Yeah, I remember telling him, I said, look man, I don't, I'm don't. i not here to interfere, I'm not here to tell you what the law is, all I'm here to do is work and to show you my worth. Um, if you need your car washed, I'll wash your car. You need a ditch dug, I will dig that ditch. I don't care what it is, I'll do it, just please give me a chance. I'm like, well how much do you require an hour? I said, look dude, I have two jobs, I work already 12 hours a day, in order to commit my time to this law firm, I'd, I'd really like to quit one of my jobs, um, if you can pay me 12 bucks an hour, then then I promise you, I'll, I'll, I, I will work as hard as I can for you. I just need to be able to quit one of my jobs. And the attorney goes, yeah, I don't know, we can do that. And I remember going, <laughs> and then actually John looked at him, John looked at him and goes, and he goes, well, I'll, I'll call you. He was like, I'll call you. And then one day, <laughs> uh, yeah, I remember going, good gosh, man, I'm not worth $12 an hour. I'm not worth it. I said, it's cool, man, I'll find my way. So anyways, I, I started harassing, you know, started calling. And while, I, while I'd been interviewing in there, my wife, Jessica, had, was coming out to, kept on coming out to the reception area. And then her and her best friend, who now works with us as well, kept on coming out, they and, they finding a reason to come out to the reception be- area. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, you know, I, I'm, I, I play country dumb a lot, but I'm not that dumb. So I'm sitting there going, yeah. I know what you girls are doing. Just, just ask for my number of that. I mean, just, I already know. Yeah. 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 I know what I you're know doing you here. Right. I know. I know. I know. I know you want some of this, right? You <laughs> yeah. want. So, but uh, you know, again, I was there and I'm reading an article about Abraham Lincoln and it always sticks in my head, the phrase that he had said, because he was exactly my age at the time when he was this article when, when he they wrote were taking it. Qu- yeah. When he well, not, didn't write it. It was about him, but oh. he had written written in his diary and they put it in the article. And he had said, I have accomplished nothing in my life up to this moment that the world would ever know I was here. And I remember going, damn Abe, Abe was feeling the same way at my age, because remember, Abe, honest Abe, had lost every election ever, up until the time he was elected to the government, and well, as a senator, and then he became president. Mm -hmm. He had lost everything. Yeah. Everything. Like, 16 different elections, like, he had lost everything, and he was feeling defeated, and damn it, I understood that at that moment, Mm -hmm. but it was just kind of a little bell in my ears. The reason I mention my wife is not to embarrass her, but even though I... I'd interviewed and John wanted to hire me. Um, they still weren't gonna hire me. And Jessica as the office, you know, kind of like the assistant office manager at the time, simply went in and goes, Look, hire that dude. I know you don't want to, I know you fear you're paying for too much, but we've had enough bad employers hire that dude, but she already like her wheels were already turning, she was like, hire that dude, and then she got her claws in me. And she she got her claws (laughs) in me, but that was the reason that, you know, I ended up being hired, and then a year later that office with a lot of other weird coincidences, if you want to call them that, blessings, uh, we ended up opening our own firm.
0: And so how old were you when you opened up your own firm?
1: 30, I want to say 32, 33, brother. Somebody over 40, uh, I'm losing years here, brother. I don't even know what today is. I I know, me neither. But I want to say 32 or 33.
0: Okay. Okay, so you were at that firm for what? A year or two years? About six months.
1: Six months. I was there for six months and then we left to another firm as a group and then we realized that guy wasn't working out for us and it literally came the moment where John, Jessica, and I and, and, and one more person sat there and, and they, they go, um, we're never gonna make it with this guy. Desi, what do you think? And I was like, well, I'm married now. I've got a kid on the way. I I uh, I'm I'm not making much here, and I don't think we'll ever make it with the guy that we're working with. I, I kind of know his character at this point. Mm-hmm.
0: You like your go. you like your let's odds. go
1: yeah let's go and and there were doubts of course but. We had good relationships with a lot of people, and we had, you know, I, I promise. And this is something I say, and I think it's 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 true to this day, and it always will be true. We can't control anything around us. Mm. We can't control the people around us or how they feel. We can't control the circumstances. All we can control is how hard we work. So it was just kind of one of those resolutions, kind of a pact. We you work your ass off every day, every night to make this work, and and you know with God's blessings we'll we'll be okay and that's kind of what we started off with was the hard work determination and a prayer mm-hmm. and and it ended up working out within a year we had 10 employees and now wow, really yeah, uh, i mean it just it just started growing Escalating. now pain those people that was a different you know but we needed them to help us with you know with the clients that were coming in so we're at that was 2006, man. So, where what year are we in now? We're in 2020. I think everybody's tried to forget this year. So, yeah, we're, we're 14 years in. Uh, we're at over 20 something employees, 20 plus employees, and um, it's just continued to grow. And we've continued to be blessed, man. And and our relationships have really, you know, saved us during the lockdown.
0: So, let's let's go back real quick to Jessica. Uh, Jessica she's, she's chasing you down, right? You're the mouse, she's the cat. Uh, and maybe a little bit of vice versa, yeah, right? Yeah, but, no. <laughs> but, um, how long, how long before you all got, uh, got married? Like, what was that? What was that dynamic? Like, because you know, um, the, the spouse having this, having the same business with the spouse, that, that I would imagine that that could be challenging, but like, well, how's that dynamic? How did that dynamic start and kind of where are you all at
1: we, we were blessed with that man so i i do think that it's hard for couples to work together mm-hmm. because it's hard for them to leave leave home at home mm-hmm. and work at work right, right right i mean there is a different dynamic from the workplace as opposed to the home right mm-hmm. jessica we were blessed because jessica her family actually has a very successful restaurant business and she grew up in that environment so she saw her parents navigate that and uh-huh. she was involved in it. And all of her brothers and sisters work for the restaurants and own restaurants. So it's one of those things where she was, was it was ingrained in her remember a habit was ingrained in her very early uh-huh. this is how you are at work. Uh-huh. This is how you out how how you are at home. Don't cross the two and things will work out. And honestly uh-huh. it's worked out great for us. You know, it might be weird to other couples, but it's worked out for us. That's you know, great. we work well together. Now how how um, I think you asked another question how did um
0: what's the dynamic
1: what's the dynamic so i'll I'll give you this dynamic and it works for us and it kind of she she knows I tease her and and like i said she is a she is a better mate than I could have ever written down for me like I remember praying for the for the right person to come along, especially when I was lost you know when when things were going bad mm-hmm. and and it's it's weird the gift God gives you it it's not what you're asking for a lot of times it's what you need mm-hmm. so what she was more than I could ever wish for And and by that, I mean it, she's been, man, she's been my ride or die in every single sense of the word, because she understands there's different, there's just different dynamics to our relationship. There's a different relationship at home than there is at work. Mm -hmm. And at work, it's one thing. And she, she's, she's my backup. And so is John. And, and so are the very loyal employees we have. But at home, we, we just have an old, very traditional relationship that works for us. Because again, um, it's, it's kind of how we were raised. It's how my mom raised me, it's how her parents raised me, and it works for us, and we found each other, and that's the way we raise our kids. I'll tell you this story, and I'm gonna tease her, because again, it, it might explain just kind of, you know, how we are as a family. Um, so her dad is very old school and I love him to tears and, and I laugh because he buys me gifts during my birthday and Christmas and things like that, where he doesn't buy anybody gifts. Oh, yeah. Really? He doesn't even buy his own daughters, which he <laughs> okay. loves, you know, to They're know. You're his man. favorite. He doesn't. Yeah. I'm his favorite. And I tell everybody that because again, it's true. I don't, <laughs> I don't lie. It's true. I'm his favorite. And I love that man to know. him as well, he's been like a second father to me. so. When I, I wasn't allowed to stay in the family home. It was a big, beautiful home. I wasn't allowed to stay in the home when I would go visit. I would literally have to stay in a hotel and then I'd come have lunch and dinner with everybody and I'd go back to my hotel. So Jessica would stay in the home. And when we first got married, um, I was allowed to stay in the home. Mijo is coming to the home, right? So I remember, you know, my step, my, 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 my father-in-law is not going to like, hey, mijo's asleep. Nobody bothered him. We get up at four or five to open the restaurants, but I'm going to stay here on Saturday with them and you guys be quiet when you're waking up. Miko's asleep. So I remember kind of waking up late, everybody's gone and and I'm like, where you know, and he was like, and he's sitting on the couch waiting for me because he wants to go hang out. I'm like, all right, cool. So I go, give me two seconds. Remember, I've been a bachelor for 33 years, so I've got my t-shirt and I'm going to iron. I'm going to take a shower and hey, we're going to take off and have some guy fun, right? So I'm walking across in front of him and he's laying on his couch with his arms spread out. And he's like, "Miko, take your time. Uh, Everybody's gone, just do what you gotta do. And I'm like, okay, let me iron, man. And and then we'll get going. And he goes, why didn't uh, Jessica iron that? I said, brother, don't worry about it, man. I cook for myself, I clean for myself. She can't iron anyways, man, I'll be (laughs) back. You know, so I go and I iron and I remember as I'm walking away, he's like, Vyaka! And then she, my (laughs) mother-in-law, comes running to his side and he's like, And I'm like, this is kind of weird, not, you know, I'm not paying attention to it. Mm-hmm. So I iron my shirt and then I come back in front of him to go to the room. He's like, mijo, Jessica's ready to iron your shirt. And I said, suero, I said, don't even worry about it, man. She doesn't know how to use the water and the steam iron. I got it, brother. I'll be back in a minute.
0: <laughs> and then she comes
1: yelling, she comes running back.
0: He's like, <laughs> and then
1: I was it's just kind of weird, right? So anyways, two seconds later, I'm sitting there and I'm putting on my shirt and Jessica comes into the room and she is in tears, brother and i'm like hey yo we just got married man i can't i'm not screwing up Or what did I, I what are you what are you crying about i don't know how mm-hmm. to handle this man i'm not good at crying mm-hmm. she knows it. i'll shut right up when she's crying like doesn't matter how mad we are what Where? are whether we're in the heat of battle mm-hmm. if she starts crying i shut up i'm like oh, i don't know what to do with it right like a puppy i, I don't know how to touch it <laughs> so i don't know what to do with her and i'm mm-hmm. like what's wrong man what it? She you don't tell my dad i don't know how to iron you don't say that in this house And I said, what do you mean? She goes, you you don't iron your shirt in this house without, you know, checking with my dad. And and I said, whoa, 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 man. I didn't know that. I've never been allowed to stay here. I'm sorry, here, go iron it. So (laughs) We laugh. We laugh at that, that, but it it, it goes on to another story, man. We're here, we just moved in. And Diego, our our oldest boy, he's still about a year old and he's a handful because we're starting the firm. Mm -hmm. We just bought the house. We're looking for lease space. We just had a baby. We really don't know each other that well. We just got married. Like life is, is a lot of pressure at the time. Mm-hmm. And my mom's still getting over her sickness. Remember, she had oh, just had her yeah, pancreas replaced. Right. So there was a lot of pressure. I just didn't know because sometimes I shut it off and I just, you know, I'm, I'm on machine mode. I'm just going and going and I'm not paying attention. I'm just, I gotta go, I gotta go, I gotta go. Yeah, you know, that's the habit. Next thing, next thing, next right, thing. Next right, right. I don't have time to think about it. I've just gotta go. So remember, the only thing I can control is me, so I'm gonna go. Um, She starts crying. We're about to, you know, I'm about to cook something to eat and that's a whole other story I'm about to cook. She comes up and she's crying. She's like, Bessie, you you don't wake up with the baby. And I said, Jessica, I said, I've tried to wake up with a baby. You wake up anyways. Why do both of us gotta get up if you're gonna get up no matter what? Even if I get up and say stay asleep, you're still gonna get up. So go ahead, you can have it. You can wake up. <laughs> right? And she's like, that's not nice. You, you you don't help me with the baby. And I said, uh, "I what do you want me to do? I tried to wake up, you know, I take care of him and take him off. I'm like, what do you want me to do? And it was just kind of one of those moments of frustration. I get it. Mm-hmm. So she was like, you don't help me. I'm gonna call my dad. And I said, "Well, you call your dad, man? Get him on the phone. Like I, I was like like daring her. She actually calls her dad. And then I can, she calls him right in front of him. I'm like, oh damn, Suegra's gonna, gonna be mad. And she gets him on the phone. And he, and, and I can see her like, yeah, daddy, no, no, no. He doesn't get up with the baby. And and, and then he doesn't help me with the baby. And then, uh 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 okay, I love you, daddy. And then I'm sitting there like, Why don't, I don't know what just happened, dude, I don't know what just happened. And and I'm like, what, he goes. and then she wouldn't tell me and she just, you know, kind of gets a baby and goes back in the room and I'm, I'm feeling bad. So later on, it came out, she's like, you know, um, hey, I said, what did your dad say? And she goes, well, I called him and then he goes, and I'm telling him that you don't help with a baby and that you don't get up. And he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Does he work? Yes. Does he beat you? No. Does he take care of the home? Yes. Does he do his job outside? Yes. Then you go back and you take care of that baby and stop calling me about this. <laughs> and and so it's one of those things that it's like, again, we're very traditional. Right. It may not be the roles that everybody has, but I take my role very seriously. She takes her role very seriously and it just works for us.
0: Yes. Y'all are very complimentary. Like both of y'all are a really great team. And, you know, that's one of the things that, I you know, I, I don't really think that I realize that the success of the firm is also you know very much so based off of Jessica's background and her entrepreneurial spirit that like her family has don't tell her
1: that she's gonna ask her raise dude no don't (laughs) tell her that and and also um I've fired her three times she just refuses to leave so I was like like,
0: I'm not gonna let you fire me you're fired (laughs) she won't leave she just literally sits there
1: staring at me I'm like I, I I think I fired you, ma'am. You can see yourself out before I call security. So. She's like, yeah, she won't leave. Yeah, I her know. mom fired her too from the restaurant. Right. So the FYI, she's got a bad employment history. <laughs> she's got yeah. She she didn't put that on her resume. I mean, she seems like a pretty good rehire Yeah, yeah. She didn't put that on her resume.
0: She'd been fired by her mom three times, but that's funny. And then and then so let's talk about John a little bit, John Amita's, because you know he was the guy that put the one ad out there. He's. He's also, you know, I think when you, when you look at Martinez and associates, he's definitely the, the associates part of it because mm-hmm. I think John just really uh, has a really great understanding of the business aspect itself how things run from an operational standpoint, and he seems like a pretty sharp guy. What's that dynamic been between you and John?
1: It's been very complimentary, man. It's been, you know, we found each other at the right time. And honestly, one of those things that, that and, and he said this actually in our very first interview, I remember him telling me this kind of, you know, nod, wink. I think he kind of saw what was gonna happen. And, and he's been in the industry for years. Mm-hmm. And the only difference between John and and I is that I had the ability to go to law school. He Basically, like if you look at the army, there are non commissioned officers, the sergeants, the master sergeants, and then there are the officers. Mm-hmm. The only difference between the two is one has a degree. Mm-hmm. That's it. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same thing here. John has as much knowledge of, as most high-level attorneys about this industry because he's done it so long. He's boots on the ground. Right. And and I, like I said, came into the industry and, and brought a different perspective, you know, of trial work and things like that. So when we when we met, it was just a very complementary. A relationship mm-hmm. and, and he again he's an office manager so that means that you know he handles a lot of the day-to-day with the boots on the grounds employees that we have right so his knowledge my knowledge it just really did create a, a good dynamic you know and as right. long as I at least at our firm what I truly want is, is is a team of superstars and I don't say that as an advertising gimmick I've always said this even to the to the to the troopers mm-hmm. um you need to know your job your job Mm -hmm. from the ground up. You need to know absolutely everything about it. You need to have a good background in it so that when you're asked to do your job, you can make those decisions, not independently, Mm -hmm. but you can make the best decision possible and you should have that experience. So it's one of those things, it's a a bottom down approach, meaning that I'm handing authority down to you for you to be a better employee. Mm -hmm. I can't give you motivation. Mm If you're not self-motivated, there's nothing I can do to make you motivated. This that's probably isn't the place for you. But right. I want you to have enough knowledge that you can make, an, an, not an independent decision because the law is a little bit different. It all has to be run by the attorney. But at the end of the day, you should know how to handle the situation, do your experience and the things that we've taught you. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of that mentality with, you know, again, our pre-litigation, our litigation I'm, I am not telling you what to do on a daily basis. I expect certain things out of you, and I don't know how you get it done. Mm-hmm. Well, I do know how you get it done, but I don't direct how you get it done on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. I just expect this at the end of the month. Mm-hmm. And I expect, number one thing is always, always, always communicate, mm-hmm. because even in the law, and again, this is just my, my tenets, my philosophies, we're still customer service, man. It's no different than Pizza Hut. Absolutely. So at the end of the day, there's some great attorneys in San Antonio, and there's, I mean, honestly, it's verifiable. There's some great attorneys in San Antonio. These, the public that's getting inundated with, you know, all these personal injury attorney ads and things like that, they don't know the difference. Unless they're, they've been through the experience. But one of the things that I always tell my staff is, look, they can go get ice cream from anybody man. Mm-hmm. They can get this service from anybody. They can literally call any law firm out there. What needs to distinguish us is the level of service we give them. Mm-hmm. Just like you can get pizza from anywhere, bro, or ice mm-hmm. cream from anywhere. The thing that makes it different is that experience that you had while you're getting that ice cream. Right. And again, if I'm, and, and honestly, I'm not, you know this. Mm-hmm. This is probably, San Antonio personal injury is probably one of the most competitive markets of any industry in any city in the entire country. Mm-hmm. This is, this is I always call it the mecca of personal injury because of where we're positioned and the type of attorneys we have here. And it's verifiable, bro. It's not me going, oh, well, San Antonio is great. No, look at the numbers, look at the verdicts, look at the attorneys. This is one of the most competitive markets in the country. Mm-hmm. And and at the end of the day for us to have even a chance of success we have to do something different. My right. thing is I think we're extremely competent and extremely good at what we do, but what makes us different and what I push on the staff is I don't you're not allowed to speak to a client or have a conversation with a client that I wouldn't have. Mm-hmm. Meaning that I, you, they've never seen me blow up with a client or have an ugly conversation or not deal with the situation or not listen to a client. And if I don't do it, I don't expect it from you. So if I hear that you haven't been returning communication, that's a problem. Right. If I hear that you haven't been listening to a client or that you're not listening to what they're saying, we're going to have a problem. Because, mm. again, that's that's one of the tenets of our of our business, business, success, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. you know, that is important to us. Hmm. And it's again, bottom line. And I think, you know, just, just as a person in the world, I think we got to listen to each other a little bit
0: more. Yeah. I mean, so going back to the, the firm itself, you got John, you got uh, Jessica, Mm -hmm. you and uh, somebody else that you've brought up kind of throughout. Mark what you've been talking about well Mark and everybody else right because yeah. you you do I mean I've seen the, the, the entire staff is fantastic right but the underlying the underlying person back there, the foundation of it all is God because you've been bringing up God yeah. and I know that you are uh, very religious um, and and you've brought him up several times throughout throughout kind of your journey. Uh, what is that what how does religion play a role in your life? And then how does how does that? Also one thing that we haven't talked about yet is how much you give back to the community and I've always Said like man, you're you know, you're doing so much people really just don't understand how much you actually give back to the community That that you serve that you're already serving like where does How does God play a role in all of that?
1: Well, I, I, I think that religion gets a bad name because you know just like anything else people fly under a certain banner do things in the name of and and it, it, again that banner ends up getting a bad name. Mm-hmm. So it's not so much religion. I am Catholic, devoutly Catholic. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, to me it's more of a relationship and and again that's that's what what faith is in God. It is a truly a relationship. Like again, if it's not a relationship you you're not you're not you don't believe that he exists. He is, was a living breathing human being that came to earth and died for us and again we can get into that whole dynamic but to me it it is it has been an interrelational uh a journey mm-hmm. because i can look at this this again first question you asked me where are you from i can look at this path bro twig 2020 i'm looking backwards going oh yeah how'd i get here well that doesn't make any damn sense you know i mean that literally doesn't make any sense i you did what and then That doesn't make any sense. And when I look at something, I always say this, and I teach RCIA for incoming Catholics, um, I I say this constantly. God doesn't speak, well, if God had to choose a language, the all-knowing, all-powerful, master creator of the universe, Is he gonna speak the the king's English? Mm -hmm. Is he gonna speak the king's English? (laughs) too? is he gonna gonna speak Spanish? Which one's he gonna speak? You can't contain him to that, right? Mm -hmm. So literally his language is miracles because we are hard headed. We don't see the the things that he's saying to us because we just simply refuse. If it's not something we can grasp, Mm -hmm. we're not gonna believe it, right? Mm -hmm. So he literally has to speak in miracles, otherwise we don't get it. right? So I look back at my life and when something doesn't make any sense but still it has a resolution, mm-hmm. you know, like you know what's what's happened, what I've been blessed to have happened in my life, and I look back and I go, That's God, dude. Mm-hmm. Do you understand? So mm-hmm. to me that that again, that reality and, and some of the blessings, people were like, Oh, that was such a hard life. No, that was a blessing, brother. Mm-hmm. Um, to have been in the situations that I've been in, to have seen, you know, a lot of the, the violence and a lot of the poverty that I've been around. Um, so I think that seeing that type of, of, of pain, seeing that type of violence, seeing that type of, you know, death, if you want to call it that, and drugs and, and all of those things, um, when you know that that's a reality, and you know that you're going to die, the rest of this crap doesn't matter, like what we're finding out about coronavirus, now right. people are like, "Hey, man, I don't care about the, I don't care about my life, right?" I've, I've always known that. Right. I, I always know that life is more important than the things that we surround ourselves with. So because we're going to die and I'm going to have to stand before my maker, right? Mm-hmm. Cause am made by somebody because I'm, I know I'm going to have to stand there. I've, I think I've almost been there. You know, mm-hmm. that's what it feels like at least. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I do things not for the back padding. Mm-hmm. You understand that? ain't I'm not going to be able to say, God, you know, I, I did give 500 bucks to the food bank. I All mean, <laughs> right, help me out right here. You know, as I'm dying, you know, I'm, right, I'm sitting yeah. on my deathbed going, you know, give me that Wells Fargo account. Let me look. <laughs> you know, before I go, I got to see that account one right, more time. Let me just look it out at know, I don't care how much money you have. I don't care how much fame you have. I don't care how much power you have. You're going to die, definite. Right. I can say this, I'm, I'm letting it out, 100% death rate. <laughs> There's a 100% death rate, and you're gonna stand before somebody whether you want to or not. Mm-hmm. So the things that I do aren't for back in or to say, look at me, or what have you, which is when you ask me, let's talk about it, I'm like, nah, bro, mm-hmm. let's not. Mm-hmm. I'm good with where they are. Um, but the, that's the reason, again, it has to be real. Mm-hmm. The relationship's real, the the life that I've been given is real, the, the, the blessings that I have are real, well, guess what, in return, things that I have to do are real Mm -hmm. you understand it can't be you know kind of the stuff that hey um I've got about five bucks left over. I wasn't going to do anything with it. Here you go. <laughs> you know, here you go. Right. I've been, of, and it's in the Bible right. of, of, of those that are given plenty, plenty is expected. So the more I'm given, the more I'm expected to give away. Right. And it's not giving it away. It's basically, and, and this is something that people, yeah, again, people that aren't, aren't religious mm-hmm. don't realize, but the church isn't a building, man. Right. The church is you and I, mm-hmm. it's people. Mm-hmm. You understand mm-hmm. it is spirit is in people. So at the end of the day, again, People are who you are supposed to take care of. right? The church, yes, I do. I do give to the church. I want his place to be beautiful. Mm -hmm. Right? If it's going to represent him. But at the end of the day, it's more so about what I do for my man. Mm -hmm. My fellow man. Mm -hmm. Even if I don't like him. Mm -hmm. Right? So, I I make it a point not to try to fight with other attorneys because I don't want them to get the impression that's who I am do i yeah yeah i can't stop myself sometimes you know i'm not again i still have that that inherent aggression sometimes i cannot put a a, a, a muzzle on it mm-hmm. you know but at the end of the day um I, I i try to live this life with absolutely everybody more so those angels that you know that are walking amongst us that we don't know who they are mm-hmm. you know homeless shelters the homeless honestly people in africa that i have i have i have You know relationship there that you know there are some some villages that we've been helping i mentor people i'm 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 an associate judge at the juvenile court i you know again there's just several 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 different charities that we've given to so i just try to live the word right unless you put the word with action it doesn't have that much effect i can read you a book all day long Mm -hmm. but if i'm not showing you how it actually plays out mm-hmm. then that's just a bit brook bro that, that's a fairy tale mm-hmm. you understand you, yeah. you, you have to put it into action right. so that's just what I try to do and I don't preach to people and I could never be I respect the guys that are on the corner yeah. you know beating the book
0: mm-hmm. I can't do that, yeah. that that's, that's not, not my style. calling yeah. that's not my
1: calling I'll what? show you through my life
0: yeah man. and I mean you give monetarily and then you also give of your time too so i mean you it's not like you're just saying like oh well i don't have the time to do it so here's a check or whatever but you, you you do that when when people need help and then you also give of your time too so i think that that's kind of noble in its own respect uh let me just kind of just take a little um a little bit of a just digress here a little bit for whatever reason man mm. You always get upset with me when we do stuff. And, and, well, and I get upset like, with you quite and, a bit. You're I, gonna have to narrow that down. Well, okay, brother. the tie thing. The tie thing. Whenever we do a shoot. I shirt, found out what it was, Whenever man. we do a video, I, and if I don't tell you, you're like, make sure my tie is straight. You remember when we released the taco video and I told you,
1: hey man. No, go ahead, release nope. it, Jerry. Hold on, hold Jerry. on, hold on, hold on. So hold that thought, hold that
0: thought. Cause I'm gonna just tell you something right now. For whatever reason, somewhere between when we started and now you have a gold piece of glitter. Right here on the side. Uh, of your, right here on the side. I don't know how you got it, but yeah. it's right. It is right here. So it's, I'm just saying because on camera, yeah, yeah, you, you've got a. I don't it's know my it's gonna, beauty mark, brother. It, no, it's a I'm mold. telling you, no, it's a piece of gold glitter right here, dude. I'm. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I was gonna say I shit excellence.
1: <laughs> I'm spit gold, <laughs> just, baby. Gold is I just I coming out of gold, your mouth. Baby. <laughs> I'm just letting you
0: know because when you see the video, you're yeah. gonna be like. I spit how come, how come you didn't tell me about this gold it's piece It's the of gold that comes
1: out of my mouth, man. That's on the other side. It's on the uh, side. It's I'll, I'll right get it side. eventually. As long as it's not mustard.
0: It's, it's not mustard. Or jelly, just, jelly yeah, juice. Yeah, I'm just letting people know it's not a piece of food or anything, right? It's just, it is a piece jelly of Jelly juice? Yes. It's, it's It's donut juice.
1: <laughs> yes. I, I, I steal donuts and I eat them in the closet that's by what, myself, That's bro. what it
0: is. That's what it is. Well, okay, so I, I wanted to, to definitely say that. The other part that you mentioned, too, is uh, we are in the middle of COVID, so I don't know how long this video is going to last in the On the interweb space, Uh but part of the reason that we're outside is because we can't be indoors because of COVID um, things, and so you know people here. I'm sure that you can hear hear the birds and stuff like that, and like the rooster in the background and and uh, and those things. So just I'm just kind of drawing the illustrating the picture of it of it all and why we're why we're out here. But uh, taco video, yeah. (laughs) Taco video. So, you had a billboard. You had a billboard out there, and uh, it was you, and Mark, and Damon, and Rick, and uh, I don't remember. I don't remember if you brought it up. Somebody brought it up that it was like it looks like a like a Goodfellas poster, movie poster board. Yeah. And uh, and then that's kind of where the idea came up of like, hey, wouldn't it be cool <laughs> if we created a video? Where it's like you in this attorney, like lawyer movie and then we do this like little swap of things.
1: It was it was in and, and so I'll tell you exactly where the thought came up. I don't know if you remember it was me, you, Penny, and my friend Zach Borrego who was yes, to Zach. With you. And that's we're, right. We're, we're that's sitting right. there we're sitting there at lunch. We'd had a, mm-hmm. you know, like our ad meeting and then I wanted to introduce you to Zach to do some writing content that, that's for you. Right. I do started, need to reach it, out for Actually back to that Penny guy. Penny did bring up Hey, you know what would be funny? You know what I've seen, and then it just kind of went from there, mm. and that's where taco was born.
0: Yeah, taco was born there at lunch. Yeah. And, right. and
1: not the, the idea specifically took some time to come up with, but I—that's—that's that's where it was born. Yeah, that yeah. was the umbilical cord around the neck. Time.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was that was that was fun. Um, so. The community involvement, uh, all of the things that you're doing within the community. You also teach your sons uh, soccer, right? Like you also
1: well. I mean, coach. I. So you know, the the biggest thing that I've realized is the only legacy that I'm going to leave, and not that it matters because I'll be dead anyways. But the what what. Well, it goes, I guess it goes back further than that. Let me let me tell you another embarrassing story. So I'm not kidding you, man, I absolutely loved football. That was my first love. Mm. Like that was the first thing I realized after, you know, going through the divorce and realizing, you know, I, I didn't really have that much confidence. I started realizing that athletically I was able to do some things. Mm. Like it just kind of happened and then it, I started building off of it. Like I did a backflip on a trampoline just because I was like, "Yeah, I don't care. did it." And and on a trampoline, it's not like I did one for real. But it just kind of I remember that moment happened and then my brother was like, "Holy crap, you just did a backflip." I said, "Yeah, it wasn't that hard. You just got to commit to it." And then I realized, you know, like little things started going, progressing from there. Hmm. And then, so it was around that age, I, we couldn't afford for me to play football, you know, when, when it wasn't free. So, um, because the uniform cost and the joining fee cost and $5 was a lot. So I couldn't play football, you know, like in peewees or anything like that. Plus I was a little bit chunky, so they didn't have like the extra large uniforms for me. Mm-hmm. So um, when when I started in seventh grade, that's when I started kind of, looking into playing sports. I knew there was a way to kind of get my aggression out. And then I started kind of building confidence and I realized, I'm kind of good at this. Mm. Um, but we started moving around, not shortly after that, we started moving around so it wasn't like I had somebody to really teach me the better parts of the game, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and again, I, I was kind of quiet so I wasn't, and you know, it was a weird dynamic at the time with, with my family. I just you know kind of stayed to my own. So I didn't really have anybody to ask, you know, how do I get better? So I was just trying to figure things out on my own. Mm -hmm. I'd lift weights on my own downstairs. I'd try to work out on my own, you know, running and and, and lifting weights. And I remember, like, I remember kind of begging in my mind, like somebody, I, I wish somebody would tell me, hey man, you could be a lot better player if you run through this wall. Now go run through the wall. Like, I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do it, I'll do it. Like, But there was nobody there, I felt, to kind of teach me that. Mm-hmm. So I was just trying to figure things out. And if I would have had the internet back then, like, I would have started researching best workout, blah, blah, blah. But I didn't. Mm-hmm. This was pre-internet. So I remember I couldn't find enough materials to read. And I'm like, I'm trying, I'm banging my head. What can I do to get better? I'll do it. I'll work out all day. I don't care. Like, I literally, I'll do it. And I remember watching a movie that I loved, Vision Quest. And, and, and shoot was walking with the log up the stairs, you know, and he was getting stronger. I was like, I can do that. I can walk up the, lo- oh, damn it. We don't have any bleachers. Uh, let me, <laughs> let me, I can't find a log either. Well, damn it. So I remember kind of there were woods behind our house in Germany. I started running around back in the woods with the biggest stick I can find. Really? Yeah, yeah. but I mean, it was just kind of dumb. I was just a kid trying to figure out how to get better. And I figured this was a way to do it. And then he, of course, my friends would see me and they'd tease me, not really make fun of it, but they'd tease me like, what the hell are you doing? Like I did. I don't know what else to do, man. Like somebody help me. So believe it or not, a reoccurring dream of mine is, is now that I'm a little bit older and I've figured things out, like I'll end up back in high school and I'm, 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 you know, in my mind, I've got my mentality, but I've got the body of a 16, 17 year old and I've always kind of been the same size. I didn't grow after 16. Um, and I'm about to start a game, and I know what that's about. Mm-hmm. It's about me having now have that experience to have been successful at that age, mm-hmm. and I know how to do it now, you mm-hmm. understand? Mm-hmm. And, and it, unfortunately, that time is gone. I don't sit there living in the past, but one thing that it did do, because I'm very happy with where we are um, in my life, but one thing I do is I've always kind of committed to my children when I had them, I will teach you those things, even if you don't want to learn them, that, that I was never taught. Like, I'll share with you the knowledge that I'll picked up, and that's kind of my biggest, that is my biggest mission mm. in life, to teach those kids what I know. Now you don't have to do what I do, okay. and trust me, my older son is nothing like me, okay. and my younger son is a lot like me, but at the end of the day, they are their own individual people with their own individual talents. So you, you go your route, and I will teach you everything that I've learned in this life, and at the end of the day, you don't have to do what I did, but you got to do something. Mm-hmm. So again, the the primary thing, and then so much soccer—that's what my younger one picked up. Mm-hmm. But it's it's it is that involvement. My time is supposed to be spent on my biggest blessing, which is my children. They they have been—I am their ward. Mm-hmm. So it is my job to teach them those things that I know. And, and unfortunately, Diego, the older one, or fortunately, he's... he's man, that dude has is, is just got it in the head. Like, he's got it. Yeah. Like, he figured it out. Yeah. So he and I have long conversations, especially when I'm driving, about just certain things. We'll talk about issues of the day. We'll talk about why things happen. And I'm—I I'm, just want him to understand how his daddy is. You don't have to be like me, man. Right. You just have to understand why I am the way I am. Right. So, and, and that'll help him, you know. And I talk to him a lot about habits, mm. because like I told you about the beginning of law school and the beginning of a practice, it—it it, it, it is those successful habits that distinguish us. Mm-hmm. So you can have it in the brain, but you don't work hard. Right. Ain't gonna happen. Right. If you you can have it in the brain, which means you have talent, but if you don't have discipline, ain't gonna happen. Right. You know you can have it in the brain, but if you don't have perseverance, it ain't gonna happen. Right. If you don't have faith, ain't gonna happen. Do you understand? I mean, mm-hmm. there's so many things that go into. I don't. I don't care if he wants to be a veterinarian, which is you know kind of the flavor of the day, mm-hmm. or he wants to become you know some sort of biologist, which is now what he's whatever he wants to do take those tenets of success with you, mm-hmm. that's all I can teach you, man. And I wish somebody would have showed me along the way, but honestly, I really don't. Right. I wouldn't have figured it out if somebody would have tried to tell me.
0: Right. Yeah, you know, there's a book. Um, I'm sure you've read it. It's uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Yeah. And it's... Yeah, uh, hill. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know, in the book, there's a, there's, a, there's a part in the book that says, you know, um, to know and not to do mm-hmm. is really not to know and it's deep yeah well i mean you know but it's like you can know all of these things right you right. can you can know exactly what you need to do to to have a a successful career and whatever it is or you can know how to to do certain things but if you never do it i mean then right. do you really do you really know it i mean it's not it's how how useful is that knowledge if you're not putting it to, to use right
1: right and that's that's you know again you see you hear you know, it's wasted talent. Mm-hmm. There's nothing so sad as wasted talent, and that—I mean, again, it's just cliche. It doesn't mean anything, right? Mm-hmm. But think about it, bro. Because I, unfortunately, I—I I, I look to family members, knowing full well, golly, man, you—you—you you, you had it, bro. You—you—you you, you had. You were born with it, mm-hmm. and then for one reason or another, it didn't. It didn't. Manifest itself Mm. or I look to friends or I look to certain and I'm not talking about anybody in particular I'm just saying I've seen it I've seen that ability that blessing that gift wasted because it wasn't coupled with all of those things that are necessary Mm. so it's sad to see when you see somebody that has so much talent and and they don't believe
0: in themselves right
1: or they feel they haven't been given the opportunity which will wait for the Bigfoot the monster truck to drive by yeah um,
0: that's a, that's but I, I've it. seen,
1: you know, sure. they just give um, themselves, like I said, they, they could have been so much more if they just would have seen, you know, what was in front of them. And I, and I can tell you right now, no, I can say that it wasn't like a lot of opportunity was given to me looking back. Mm. But again, I think I was given as much opportunity as anybody else. Now, mm-hmm. again, that doesn't mean I've lived everybody's life and I'm sure that there are a lot, you know, hard much more hard knock stories out there mm. so that maybe they can say i wasn't given the opportunities but we're all being given something now right i truly believe that right I, I can point to again you know people in, in in third world countries that they're still given an opportunity to mm-hmm. do something with it so i just think it's it's you, you've got to grab it at that moment and there's a, an element of fear and an element of doubt but again i mean we get one go round, bro right so i mean it's just it that's kind of how I see it. Yeah.
0: And you know, I think that there's a lot of people too, that when they look at the cards that they're dealt with, you can look at it two ways, right? You, um, you can take a look at the cards that you're dealt with and you can say like, man, this is not the best hand, you know, to, to play off of. Uh, and so a lot of people look at that, that hand as like, you know, a waste or they don't do anything with it. Right. And so they're really looking at the things that, that they don't have that could make that better and then you but, have the other you have the other part of it too where that you just do what you can with the hand that you're dealt with well it's poker man
1: it is poker and, and I'll, I'll put it to you this way man and 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 adrian knows this we talk a lot and he goes "Did you never you you always have a story and i said man because that's the way that people learn brother mm-hmm. um so one of the hardest trials, and I don't want to, you know, again, lawyer this up, but I think about this a lot. One mm-hmm. of the hardest trials, one of the trials that I'm most proud of, is is probably one of the hardest fact patterns that we've ever had to deal with. And I remember I had referred it out to an attorney who literally literally gave me back the case and goes, I'm getting out of this one, brother. This one, this one, I'm not touching it. And, and I remember going, man, we're screwed. I hope they make an, a settlement offer. What ended up happening was, and I didn't know this at the time, when we ended up signing signing this client, he was visiting from out of town. And he told us he was just visiting, looking for work. Well, my man ended up being a pimp. He was actually visiting for more girls in San Antonio when he got into a crash. Now, it wasn't his fault, the crash wasn't his fault, and his injuries weren't his fault, right? But when you put that in front of a jury, along with the fact that he's in federal prison now, And he was in prison for something that is uh, what they would call a crime of of moral turpitude. And it wasn't just, you know, pimping Um, that that when a jury's going to hear our client talking over the speaker and know that he's not there because he's in prison and it comes out that he was pimping when he was in town. People aren't going to forgive that. They're going to be like, I don't care how hurt he is. He's morally wrong. And we're up against a very good insurance company with an attorney. I respect very much a defense attorney and he is going to come after it. Like he, I already know him and we'd already had a trial together. Like he's going to come after it. And we're like, damn, we're going to get our asses kicked. So I remember Damon and I just started kind of game planning it. I'm like, look, we got to go. We got to go. We couldn't draw a better venue. We couldn't draw a better judge. Let's just go. So... At the end of the day what ends up happening is that yeah, you know, we start talking about it during the beginning of the trial, hey, you're gonna hear my guy, he's gonna be testifying over a speaker because he's not here, he's in jail. You know, what would let's talk about that, you know, and, and with with the with the veneer panel which is what you draw a jury from, right? And of course, you get the hems and the haws, but it, you know, again, they don't know what he's in jail for. Mm-hmm. Like, I know this defense attorney's coming out, this fact to bring it up, why are you in jail? Why are you in jail? Mm-hmm. So, um, knowing that aggression, we just kind of found evidence to, to block the fact as to why he was in jail. Not that he was in jail, but why he was in jail, because again, I understand it may be morally repugnant what he was in jail for but at the end of the day it had nothing to do with the fact that he was in a crash that wasn't his fault and he was injured mm-hmm. those two things have nothing to do with one another right the mixture is what was dangerous and that's what he was trying to bring out but we found evidence that be able to keep him keep that specific thing out right mm-hmm. so the jury never knew what he was in jail for they didn't know he was in jail though right mm-hmm. and I think it was the right ruling so what ends up happening was that because he was so aggressive about it, our guy actually was a highly intelligent guy and mm-hmm. he could keep his emotions in check and he just talked about the facts. Mm-hmm. And the jury heard it and this guy was coming after him about jail and jail and jail and jail and jail and you didn't pay your taxes and you blah, 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 blah. All right, cool. They still didn't understand why he was in jail. They ended up thinking it was tax evasion. And ultimately, they could forgive that. Mm-hmm. Because again, it was during the recession. So mm-hmm. it was like, ah, okay, yeah, maybe he's in jail for this. Right. What ends up happening, Bigfoot oh came man,
0: back. you were right. Yeah, Bigfoot came back. Because of the lake, right?
1: So so what ends up happening is that the jury just weighs it based on the fact that he was in crash and in the crash, wasn't his fault, was injured, and they put all the other stuff aside and we end up winning that case and getting a verdict that really nobody expected when honestly even I thought we were gonna get zeroed out to no end. Like I thought we were gonna owe money. Mm-hmm. You know, like I thought I was gonna have to pay somebody just to you know, just to just to close this case out. And and it kind of left you know the judge and the defense attorneys wondering, what the hell did you just do, man? Huh. And and again, it wasn't it was circumstance, it was luck, it was hard work, it was thinking things out, it was all those things that you bring to a successful practice and a successful business and try to have, bring into a successful life. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day. Um, it was one of our best victories because we were given literally no shot mm-hmm. and and those are the ones i'm proud of i always say that look you know as personal injury attorneys we all have those cases where you know they're in the seven figures maybe even eight figures those cases honestly they sell themselves man. Mm-hmm. meaning that you don't have to do amazing legal work to make a million dollars off of somebody that's died mm-hmm. you know you're not you're not driving a really, really badass car when the car is already made for speed. You understand? You're not right. doing a lot of work. Right. You take one of these damn Yugos it has a four cylinder engine and you drive it at two hundred miles an hour. Then you're a mechanic. You right. understand? Right. So that I look at those cases and I go, that's you know, that kind of shows me that the things that I've learned, we've put into practice and thankfully we've been successful with it, but I count those as bigger victories than the big, big ones. Mm-hmm. Why? Because those big, big ones, all I basically had to do was get out of the way. Right. You know, these we had to work up and it's, one. of you know, there's a few cases like that where I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, it might not be the biggest verdict, but at the end of the day, that's my proudest work. Right. Why? Not because, again, it, it was because, again, we were given no shot. Right now there are some altruistic stories of people that we've helped. We've gotten, you know, big verdicts and small verdicts. But at the end of the day, you know, some of the smaller ones, we were helping people, you know, mm-hmm. one lady, honestly, we got her 1200 bucks. And I remember going, it's embarrassing. I think it's a crap verdict, you know, I'm pissed off mm-hmm. and, and she's crying. And I thought she was crying because, you know, she got $1,200 nah, yeah, yep. $1, for her. Well, she was crying cause she was happy and I'm like, what? What do you mean? And she was a sweet, sweet, sweet lady. Mm-hmm. Um, and she goes, well, my, my husband has got cancer and they just told us he needs to have this study done, but we got to pay for it out of pocket and our out of pocket with 1200 bucks. And I was like, wow, wow, you know, yeah, you know what I'm saying? So that's the kind of stuff when you kind of know you're on the right path. Yeah, I'm not going to put that down on our advertising that we only got 1200 bucks, but that's the kind of stuff you remember. And that's when you know you're on the right path. And there's been a lot of clients that have come back and said, you know, Mr. Martinez, you got me what I needed right when I needed it. Mm -hmm. And you know, you're doing things the right way.
0: Right. And is that, is that the most fulfilling thing about what you do?
1: Um, Yeah, I mean, as far as, I'll say it this way, as far as fulfilling, yes. You know that you see the hand of God in what you're doing, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And, And also, as far as fulfillment is what I'm supposed to be doing, what I love doing, yeah, on that scale as well it's just man honestly during covid we can't get in front of a jury yeah and it's literally i don't know when we're gonna do it again so i'm sitting here going i I, i've committed myself to every day doing something to make me better trial attorney Mm. whether that's be reading studying looking at videos thinking of lines of cross-examination like i've committed every day i'm gonna do something to be better when it opens back up right but as of right now i'm you know honestly i'm sitting there in the bullpen warming up for an indefinite amount of time
0: right like you don't know when the next when the next right. game, when the next game is right, right the, right, the the season's been canceled so far. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's got to be, that's got to be tough. But I mean, at least you're working on self improvement every day.
1: Life philosophy is really again kind of those tenets, man, that I was telling you about.
0: Okay, so 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 yeah, uh, those, those tenets that you were talking about, like um, I guess faith,
1: strength, perseverance, talent. Um, do, those things put together, I think, and have a discipline. Mm-hmm. You put those things together again, and I think there's not a whole bunch that you can't accomplish, but I think they have to all be aligned. Mm-hmm. So again, I, I I can't control anything, and I have to understand, again, it's like the serenity payer. Mm-hmm. Grant me the, 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 the wisdom to know, change the things I can to know, the di- and then basically know the difference, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Between those things I can't change and those things I can't change. Um, if, if my life philosophy is kind of based around those things with faith at the beginning mm-hmm. and, and honestly it, you're you're finding during coronavirus shutdowns that there, and you can read articles on it people are coming back to prayer and they're coming back to base because again ultimately our strength isn't in ourselves and again religion is a different talk for another day mm-hmm. but at the end of the day i mean i think a lot of people are coming back to that well that's kind of the bedrock of, of, of my life of yeah. our of our family's yeah. life mm-hmm. so um
0: So when you talk about, or when you think about your life as a whole and kind of everything that you've had to go through from uh, the umbilical cord, from the beginning, from the damn umbilical cord, from from pre, from pre Desi, right? Uh Uh, From the, from that type of perseverance to, you you know, you come out as a preemie Things from the onset are already, you know, where it just seemed like you were already being born with challenges already from the get-go and to where you are today. And in my eyes, I see you as a, as a success because you live a very well-balanced life. You've got a great family. You've got, you know, a wonderful wife, great boys, a fantastic practice. You surround yourself with really great people. Mm. You're doing well in the community. Financially, you're doing well. You've got a very nice and well balanced life. To me, that's success. But you know, throughout all of those things, to where you where you are today, and as we're going through all of this COVID stuff too, that presents its own challenges. But what would you say to somebody who is going through like those particular struggles um, from a mindset perspective of trying to persevere beyond? you know some of those struggles cuz there's a lot of people right now going through covid right. that are struggling right so what kind of advice would you give those people based off of your life experience
1: so to me I, those people that are going through those challenges right now it's kind of like being in a straitjacket and the more that you're twisting and turning and yelling and fighting you're actually tightening the straitjacket right that's the way i look at it and i've been there you know single in a place where I don't know what the future's bringing, broke, you know, like the more you twist and fight and twist and fight and twist and fight, the worse it actually gets. Mm. And, and unfortunately, it creates, you know, it creates even more pressure, the more pressure you're putting on yourself. To, to me, honestly, and this is kind of how we spent our time indoors, guys, this is going to end. Regardless of what you think, regardless of how it feels, this is going to be over one day. It may be a year from now, it may be two years from now, but this is going to be over. You this know, too shall get, pass. We've 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 been around as human beings for countless years, dude. Mm-hmm. Thousands of not millions possibly. So at the end of the day, again, this is going to pass and most likely we're still gonna be here. Mm-hmm. You understand? So I, I would say this time, again, if you're in a cave and you do feel cornered and you do feel the dark coming around you, embrace it, man. Don't don't struggle. Embrace it and quiet down. And kind of to me it's it's almost like a monk going into the the, the cave of himself. Mm. What I like to do is honestly just slow down and and take you know, take time on the little things. Watching my sons play with their water balloons. My workouts have almost been a like a I hate to say it this way, but it's almost like a spiritual activity. Mm. Like I'm just slowing down and really kind of concentrating on myself and the things that I'm doing to make my body stronger and better. I slow down with my meals. I slow down with my prayers. I make sure that I'm, again, slowing the mind down. Mm-hmm. Because again, we're we're, we're we're wrapping ourselves in all this despair, which is why we're planning on doing kind of a podcast as well. Mm-hmm. And if we get up, wrapped up in the despair of our mind and the despair that we're seeing on the news on a constant basis, mm-hmm. uh, yeah we it's going to take you down. Mm. So guess what? Slow it down. Turn it off, and just kind of retreat into the cave of your mind. But in a more again a more spiritual way, just slow down. Yeah. And I found that that slowing down is kind of taking the panic away. Mm. So with with two young ones, with all my parents still living, thank God, with my brother still living, and and and, and you know sometimes needing need a little bit of help with you know with certain things, um, with uh, the office, mm-hmm. a staff of over twenty with um, you know, my wife, my in-laws, all of those things that I feel responsible for, responsible for helping, mm-hmm. like if I allowed myself to, one of those things enough is is anxiety filled you Mm -hmm. understand just Mm -hmm. running an office and figuring out where the next six months are going to take you is anxiety filled enough but again I have a family I have kids I have a wife I have brothers I have mothers I I have a mother I have have parents step parents Mm -hmm. in-laws people that I'm constantly on the lookout for Mm -hmm. as well as my neighbors you know so Mm -hmm. at the end of the day um, if I allowed myself to I would literally run run my mind crazy thinking about all the stress that it comes could along be about, with it. Right? One of those things is enough, brother. Just being a trial attorney is stressful enough. Right. But again, there's so much more. The, what I look at and what I do is simply realize, again, what can I control? Mm. I can control how hard I work. That is it. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to give my best effort. With the time that I have, and I'm going to just slow down the thought processes to make sure that I'm spending time on myself, reducing the anxiety however I can, but also taking care of those things that I can take care of. Mm-hmm. And I've let my staff know, because we made a commitment to them, we're all basically in this boat together. Yeah, I ain't going to start firing people and creating unemployment statistics. We're going to hold on to everybody as long as we can, mm-hmm. but it takes you guys You've got to you've got to row your own water. You've right. got to paddle your own water. Mm-hmm. You've got to do your own job. I'll do my job. I'll keep you guys employed. I'll do everything I can. But I need that same commitment from you. Mm-hmm. And and again, we're going to get through this on the same boat together. And when we hit rough waters, guess what? Paddle harder. Right. So control what you can control. I'll control what I can control, and we'll get through this together. And that's that's kind of the way I, I see all of this, man. Yeah. You know, whether it be family here, we've we've again, um, we've we've we're all doing our part. Even the young one. And and you know with, with my with my work life, man. So that yeah. that's kind of been what's worked for us. I don't mm-hmm. know if it's a secret of success for everybody in getting through this, but that's been working for us
0: during kind of the lockdown. Awesome, awesome. Well, um, I know that I know that I'm getting pretty sweaty. Yeah. sun's kind of coming you're out.
1: Making, you're making the sweat, oh, man. The, the sweat smiley face. Oh yeah. You get yeah. some under the, under the chest, yes. under the peps, Yeah, yeah. It's good. right mm. at the belly button.
0: And then the, this cafe con leche was amazing. Thank you for that. You're welcome. I, I appreciate it. I appreciate your time today, Desi. Um, really appreciate you, man. I know, and I know that you say that a lot, um, to other people too, but genuinely appreciate you.
1: Same here, brother. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Cheers, my friend.
0: It. Oh no more! Oh, till the next one. <laughs> till the next one. All right.
1: Oh, that was good, man. How, how, what time is it?
0: Uh, it's an hour. I, I'm guessing at about an hour and a half.